Hey guys. Hey. Hey, what's what how hi. Welcome to Couples Book Club. <laughs> I'm Lauren. That's Isaac. <laughs> He's never gonna introduce himself ever, no. no matter how many times I pause. Introductions are bourgeois. <laughs> Shut up. That's what Vlad says. God, I hate you so much. Uh. I can read, you can read, we can read, we're reading together. I married you, you married me, we got married, yeah we married each other. Now we're reading books, talking in mics, discussing stuff with one another. We're a, a couple's book club. Yeah, welcome to Couples Book Club. We read a book. It's kind of the, the premise of this whole thing. Yeah, we both read it, and we're going to talk about it. We both finished it a little bit ago. and At least a couple weeks, probably. Yeah. This is probably the first one that I finished before you, actually. Yeah. Um, uh, no, that's not true. I finished it before you. You did? Yeah. Yeah, you were on like 160 or something. Oh, yeah, you did. I read the okay. entire thing in one day. Okay. I finished it the next day, though. Yeah. It's probably the closest together that we finished one in a while. Yeah. It helps um, it's breezy. Sort of. It's a fucking cover girl, but like... But pre- shitty. Preachy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we read Sacred Hoops, Spiritual Lessons of a Hardwood Warrior. By Phil Jackson and Hugh Delahunty. Hardwood. Are you making a wiener joke? What am I not making a wiener joke? Fair point. Always. Guys, there's a lot of important questions in this book. Mostly sports questions. Mostly sports questions. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, uh, isn't, isn't sports a, a metaphor for life and vice versa? I mean, basketball certainly is. Yep. It's all about being present in the now. Mm-hmm. And also appropriating Native American cultures. Sure. Yeah, you all right there? I don't know. Cool. Good. It's promising. Promising. Um, So this is a book by Phil Jackson, NBA coach. If you're not a sports person, he coached the Bulls in the 90s to many championships yeah six when he was there right and then did he do like another there was another three-peat i think when he was in la he was in la in the like kobe shack era yes so clearly he's a good coach who also happens to have been able to coach you know some of the best players ever yeah probably like three of the best players ever but you also need to be able to manage those people in a way that like actually works. Sure, sure. Which he talks about in great detail. So the book was written in like 90, 95, 96? Yeah, I think 96 because it's when, when Jordan comes back after the, the baseball foray and then like that first season. And then I think the, isn't the like the new afterward is that first championship after Jordan yes. comes back. Yeah, the season when Jordan comes back. Yeah. So original copyright nineteen ninety five. Well, they didn't win the season he came back. They won the next season. 
Yeah, they run. They won ninety seven, ninety eight, because that was when they beat the Jazz, and I was a huge Utah Jazz fan in junior high. Those years. The well, that wasn't that ninety six was the first one back. I think. For Jordan. Because they won ninety one, ninety two, ninety three, then Houston won in ninety four, ninety five. The year he was out, and then that partial year he was back, and then ninety five, ninety six, was his first full year back, and that's when they won again. Yeah, I I'm, think I'm not sure. I didn't start watching until the ninety six, ninety seven season. Okay. Yeah, I think I think nineties. If if my nineties memory serves me correctly. Sure. Um. But right. So I was a pretty uh big into watching the NBA there for a couple years. In the later 90s. Um, so I wanted to hear more about that. Because you know I just wanted some John Stockton stories. Because he's a junior high crush of mine. Um, but uh, this was mostly before that time. So John Stockton gets like one mere mention. Which is bullshit. I mean he was still out there doing his thing. They just weren't sure. a, a, a title Wearing factor. Short shorts. Showing off those uh, quads. Hairy, hairy little drumsticks. <laughs> you know he's six foot one right well comparatively <laughs> so yeah it's um he talks about spiritual lessons but it's mostly basketball stories yeah which was good for note-taking purposes i think because there were just like substantial i think for like a 225 page book i took maybe like 15 notes which is way below average yeah, there's a lot of space on the pages. The The font is large, and each chapter has a lot of, like, blank. And then there's, like, quotes from, like, philosophers and shit. Yeah, they're clearly puffing it to make it a, a full book. This is for sports fans. Yeah. Who don't know how to read. So I actually don't know why they would get this book, because you do actually have to read it also. Well, you can put it on your coffee table next to your, like, Sports Illustrated, and people uh, are like, oh, man, this guy is a thinker. Um, as always, I have shit marked throughout. Some of these are probably not that interesting in retrospect. I just felt like I should mark things occasionally. So my shit is basically chronological unless you... Yeah, I don't know. Do you have anything early on that jumped out at you? Uh, I've got one on page five. Okay. Um, Which I think you marked also. This mm -hmm. is sort of like him, I think, kind of setting up the book still. Sure. And so he's talking about sort of coming back from the wilderness to get the, like, Bulls job, which I think is an assistant job when he first starts there. Yes. Uh, and he'd been doing, like, the, like, CBA job in Puerto Rico and all these weird, mm -hmm. like, outposts. And then he's uh, getting back to this, uh, this Bulls job, which is potentially promising. Mm -hmm. um, but, like he's talking about the the job and like the the prospect of coaching jordan uh but then it says like was excited in quotation marks for some reason yeah like it's weirdly like set off right is he being sarcastic or is that like a famous quotation of his i mean to me that that indicates sarcasm i don't think he means it that way in context yeah. But it's just a weird thing to be set off in quotation marks it is. It in that spot. It doesn't make any sense. So I flagged that. It's just like, what's. Because, like, I don't. I feel like the tone of it is not particularly sarcastic. Like, the book oh, in general. No. It's uh, very, very earnest for the most part. Phil Jackson has made three jokes and he, and he told two of them in this book. 
like yeah. recounted them. I mean, ever. That's how many jokes he's yeah. He's yeah, yeah, yeah. very earnest. Yeah. Yeah. So that was just strange. Yeah. I had that marked because I was like, how do I read this tonally? Yeah. Yeah. Um, But on the page before, he, I'm just, this gives you a little bit, because this is part of the introduction, just a, a little taste of what's to come, guys. Um, He says, the day I took over the bulls. I vowed to create an environment based on the principles of selflessness and compassion I'd learned as a Christian in my parents' home, sitting on a cushion practicing Zen, and studying the teachings of the Lakota Sioux. So if you don't want to barf already, I don't know what's wrong with you, because it's just more of that shit. Just bringing in that native realness. Hashtag problematic. I mean, I think we talked about it a little bit before that, like... I'm not willing to give him a pass on it, but I'm willing to sort of understand it as someone who kind of came of age in the 60s and 70s as he did the, like, fascination with, like, Eastern religions and, like, Native American fetishizing and stuff. So, like, I I understand how he ends up in that spot. Mm -hmm. That doesn't excuse it, but it's just like, yeah, this is pretty on the nose for this dude to be. Uh, someone of that era to be right uh that kind of in, into it in that way right yes because he's like you know a white guy from montana sure sure um which isn't to say that you can't find um value in religions or practices or cultures that you weren't raised with but there's parts of it that feel very appropriative in a way that is not interrogated in this book because it's pretty early in my mind for that kind of like really public um i don't know this 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 predates eat pray love by like what 15 years yeah probably 10 years i feel like that book is like mid 2000s yeah might be, yeah yeah the movie must probably. have been more like 2010 because that was when we lived in ohio yeah. So it's a, it's like a decade before Eat Pray Love. Probably. Well, I did I did wonder if this was going to be a man's Eat Pray Love, and it's not quite. But it's like Eat Pray Dunk. Shh. <laughs> okay, turn it off. Turn off the podcast. Oh wait, I'm the one in charge. Yeah, you, you can turn <laughs> it off whenever buttons. you want. Isaac doesn't even. Oh, you can just silence. You could figure out how to turn it just off. Just silence my mic if you don't want me to. Um. Yeah, so there's some kind of uncomfortable white man cultural things happening, particularly with um, native cultures. Yeah. Um, We'll get into that more. Although I will, um, kind of the first instance of me being like, oh God, I roll, is on page 11. Uh, This is the very beginning of chapter one. I'll just read a couple sentences here. The team room at the Sherry Alberto Center is the perfect setting for an epiphany it's the inner sanctum of the chicago bulls sacred space adorned with native american totems and other symbolic objects i've collected over the years and then he goes on to like name a bunch of them he does talk about it later is that for several years he um like ran basketball camps on the pine ridge reservation so it's not like he doesn't he hasn't ever had contact with the lakota sioux and doesn't have i mean assume that he really has genuine friendships with people that's a pretty touristy kind of relationship though right if you're there for like a few weeks for like work essentially and it's not 
this might be later where he actually kind of makes the half joke. But a white buffalo is a like really sacred to the Sioux. Like if a white buffalo was born, and he wanted to like change the logo or he had jokes bulls. about yeah, yeah, to the white buffalo. Like, sir. I mean, the Blackhawks already have a you know problematic native mascot, so might as well just embrace I mean, it. I mean, I guess as far as problematic. Uh, indian mascots go that would probably be the least bad because at least he'd be sincere in his cluelessness i guess <laughs> but it's still not okay <laughs> yeah but the idea that they have the this room where the team goes to like chill and meditate or whatever and it's covered with all these symbols from a culture and a religious background that presumably none of the players, as far as I know, that he's at, he mentioned, yeah, I don't think uh, so. Had any association with? I think there have been a few, a few, uh, like NBA players with significant native background, but yeah, none who were part of those Bulls teams, as far as I know. I I feel like he would have mentioned it. Oh yeah, because he does talk about the religious background of of some of the players. He would have mentioned it hard. Yeah. Oh yeah, and he would have used that to be like, "Hey, look, it's legit." The thing is, it's just that he's. And I mean, this is 25 years ago, basically. But it's like, he's so sincere in being like, this is really cool. And look at these native cultures. And I know people make fun of me and say I'm a hippie. But really, here's how this is applied to making my team good. But also, it's like, you're a white man, sir, who has merely encountered this. And though you seem to have... A, a relatively respectful appreciation for it like you're not making fun of it at all it doesn't mean that it's there for the taking yeah 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 there's not much self-awareness as far as that stuff goes no this is in uh sort of a hype when jordan is like coming back i think if i'm remembering the spot correctly when there's sort of like rumors that he's coming back or Did he retire twice and come back twice uh not in this book but yeah no yeah no i mean because he retires after his dad's murdered to play baseball for a little while yes, and then i that. think he retires after the second three peat for a couple of years and then he comes back and plays in he washington play, yeah, inexplicably okay yeah 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 okay because he was like part owner yeah of the wizards when he was playing there as well because well, he was like in his early 30s when he retired the first time yeah i looked it up the other day i think he was 33 when he retired uh the second time really yeah wow and so he was out for a couple years and then came back and played two more years well yeah why not yeah sorry the but anyway it's it's sort of the hype about uh him coming back and Mm -hmm. the the media being super excited about it and he talks about it uh as being like on the relative heels of like the whole oj situation and how it It was like this eye-opening thing for people to see one of their heroes brought low. And so, uh, but he he uses the word uh, malaise to talk about the post-OJ period. And I just wrote it down as some Jimmy Carter shit. Let's get Jimmy up in here to tell you to put on a sweater. You don't need to use more fuel to keep your house. Well, I mean, sweaters aren't really going to help anymore. Oh, yeah. No, we don't need sweaters anymore. Like a reverse sweater? 
If Jimmy Carter had continued to be the president. Like a sweater made of ice or something. Ice sweater. Yep. As our air conditioning continues to pump and pump. Yep. That's right. It pumps. I don't really, I don't know the mechanisms involved. Uh, oh, my God. You guys, having central air, I mean, for as long as this lasts, I don't know, five more years. Uh, like Earth, you mean? or Earth as we know it, anyway. Yep. Human society as we know it. Five if we're lucky, dude. Um, air conditioning, central air in our home. I, th- I think That's Earth beauty. will Earth will just give up once uh, the second Trump inauguration comes around. Don't pretend it's not going to happen. I don't. I don't feel like being sad right now. It's what this country deserves. Of course it is, but it's not what the people who are really going to be hurt by that deserve because yeah. they've already been fucked. Well, yeah, obviously. No, no one Damn truly it. deserves that, but... Yeah. Let's... Anyway, I assume Earth will just revolt at that point. I mean, the planet won't explode, but it'll kill us. Yeah. Most of us, at least. Anyway, any who's will be. Yeah, the OJ thing is interesting. I hear the uh, OJ Simpson, like, 30 for 30 is really good. And I haven't really okay. watched any of those, but they're supposed to be really good. Talking about, just about like, and obviously I know intellectually that race played a huge role, but also the fact that O.J. Simpson had been kind of, yeah, he was a hero. He was in movies. He was handsome. He was, yeah, he was a hero to people, even, quote unquote, even white people. And so, um, yeah, that's interesting that he was talking about that because on 17 he says uh after the malaise thing whatever the reason during his hiatus from the team michael had somehow been transformed in the public mind from a great athlete to a sports deity Uh, which is i think still how he's viewed even after his multiple comebacks and in all fairness you know phil jackson doesn't really talk about this but like i think that has a lot to do with uh nike yeah. That Jordan's an incredible athlete and a legend on the court. Sure. But he becomes, I think, a cultural figure through his connection with, like, the Air Jordans and all the marketing campaigns and all that shit. Well, and I think, yeah, he came up at the time in which, yeah, like... Well, just the right moment for that, like, celebrity branding for that celebrity thing. celebrity marketing, all that shit to really get up and going the way that it did in the 80s and 90s. Um, well, and I think too, he has a certain, from what I kind of remember of him, this like kind of like a badass, quiet mystique mm-hmm. in a way that like someone like Larry Bird or Magic Johnson or someone just like didn't have. Mm-hmm. But they were great players and their rivalry was one thing, but Jordan just had it like kind of an aura to him. Sure. Uh, sure. And so that made him like the perfect fit for that, I think. Well, just by him talking about some of the gambling stuff, like. Any scandals that Michael Jordan had have seemed, at least in my memory, relatively minor. Yeah. As far as somebody with that level of celebrity. Well, and even the gambling, as far as I know, was, it was never like he was, it's not like Pete Rose shit where he was betting on basketball or on Bulls games. It was just like he would, like, you know, bet a bunch of money playing golf or on other stuff. Which was stupid and maybe a sign of, you know, him having a gambling problem to a degree, but yeah. not enough to really, like, tarnish his image in any meaningful sure. way. 
Well, and I know he got caught up in a little bit of that Tiger Woods shit. Um, like gambling and probably sex workers and like going to Vegas with these other huge athletes and just like spending and gambling and yeah. um, like being gross dudes, basically. Sure. Um, and there's no excuse for sucking. Um, but I also, it's hard to know, like, once you've been declared the greatest athlete in the world, or at least in your sport, like, what else is there? I can understand that that is probably a personality type. Somebody who's ambitious enough to reach that level. Yeah. That is probably, like, a sensation-seeking personality type, you know, like, thrill-seeking. Like, what's the next high? Like, I'm not a professional player anymore. I can't win any more championships. All right, let's fucking gamble a bunch of money and yeah. you have the money so you do it oh yeah i mean i'm i'm sure that dude's net worth is insane yeah well he doesn't even really do does he even do any um yeah i don't know if he's and actively in, like a management thing anymore no i think he's just kind of a private he citizen of the looms. i mean i'm sure he has investments and stuff and is behind a lot of things but he's not the face of any ad campaigns anymore. well i mean there's still new air jordans and stuff like that like yeah. that that brand still exists so i assume yeah. he's involved with that to a degree but yeah uh, but he's not like out there doing stuff well what's interesting is i mean obviously jordan's a huge character in this book i mean he was a slash the dominant player during this time and and you know led led this team and but yeah, it's interesting to hear about kind of his actual personality from somebody who knew and worked with him. Because, yeah, you don't really get an idea of what he's actually like from yeah. just having grown up in the culture where he was one of the most famous people. In the 90s. A long time ago. Uh, just the sort of discussion. I think this is his mom saying that uh, an idle mind is the devil's playground. And so she gives him all these, like, Bible quotes to memorize, to, like, keep and, like, run over in his head mm -hmm. when his mind drifts away from, like, the Lord. Ugh. It's, like, some hardcore shit get to that point. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think there's there's something to be said for that, like, idle mind, idle hands thing to a degree. But that seems a little bit extreme. Well, she was raised Mennonite, which is pretty hardcore. Well, he was and then Pentecostal, is that what he's raised? Yeah, and then became raised. a Pentecostal preacher. Yeah. So, like, it's a pretty, you know, serious, like, fundamentalist-ish kind of religious upbringing. Well, and then the dad was a, a preacher, too. I don't think the mom was a preacher once she got married, but they were both very hardcore religious. Yeah. Yeah, Pentecostal's hardcore. Yeah, so he talks about how strict his family was growing up religiously and stuff. And, like, they didn't have a TV and they weren't really supposed to go to the movies or listen to popular music and, you know, sex and drugs and alcohol and everything, anything fun, not okay. Sure. And they had this kind of uh, idea that the apocalypse was going to come soon, that the book of Revelation was going to be fulfilled, etc., which, um, to a certain degree, I can relate to growing up Mormon, where it was always like, the second coming is happening, like, any time. Like, I honestly was unsure if we'd make it to the year 2000 when I was a kid. 
Because Joseph Smith cool. said in the cool. 1830s that it was going to happen soon. So it yeah. seemed like it had to be soon. Yep. And yet still, here we are. I mean, maybe For possibly five more years. Maybe this is the second coming. Sure. Or it already happened. And it was like kind of underwhelming. It's like new Coke. Like it happened. They're just like, eh, 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 JK. Jake's. The short for JK. Yep. Um, on 29, he talks about being scared that he wouldn't be like raptured with the rest of his family because, you know, his sinful nature. And one day when he was a kid, he came home from school and his mom wasn't there for some reason. She was always home. And he got, uh, so, let's see. I got so frightened the rapture had started without me that I ran all over town looking for her. I was shaking when I finally tracked her down at a local radio station taping a religious program with my dad. I was like, that? Some left behind shit. That's that's more hardcore than my upbringing. Yeah. Um, but there were certain parts of it that I, I could certainly relate to. Yeah. And if I were a person with more of a... I guess kind of a, a, a spiritual yearning. I could, I can see kind of how, why he took the path that he did. Yeah. Especially if you're raised with that. Well, yeah, if you're predisposed to some kind of spirituality, mm-hmm. he's going to seek that out somewhere. Mm-hmm. And if he feels like, you know, I don't think you can call Pentecostalism like mainline Christianity, but mainline Christianity yeah. has been sort of burnt out for him. He would look mm-hmm. elsewhere for stuff. Well, that's such an extreme version of Protestantism that it, like, yeah, I could see it. And he does, I mean, he, he talks about it later, but he does kind of come around on Christianity, but just kind of takes from it what he finds useful. Buffet Christian? Pronounce Buffet. Jimmy? He likes to go to Margaritaville occasionally. Well, I think I've told you one of my coworkers has a Margaritaville brand margarita maker that he has brought to potlucks before because we drink booze at our potlucks life choice i suppose uh i think if i'm remembering correctly it was discussion of like within his sort of religious community where he was brought up people did the like speaking in tongues thing Uh including family members Mm -hmm. uh and he was sort of like waiting for this sort of experience or god to like make himself apparent to him in a certain way Mm mm-hmm and it never happens. And I think he read something. I don't remember what he read. But uh, he has this sort of realization that it's possible to have. I don't think this is the exact wording, but this is how I wrote it down. This sort of uh, like a non-ecstatic religious experience mm-hmm. where it's not like speaking in tongues. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just thought that was kind of interesting because I feel like a lot of times people have that sort of expectation or like perform that in a certain way like god is touching you in that moment you know whatever god stop touching me gross and it just become it just becomes this sort of performance where it's about like this is what i'm supposed to do so this is mm-hmm. how i'm gonna act out my relationship versus just like whatever it feels like to you in that moment and if yeah. you're not having that experience you're doing it wrong so i thought that was sort of interesting that he it's sort of sad that it took him that long to get to that point mm-hmm I guess, because, like, I don't, for, for me, that made sense, because I'm not, like, a, you know, particularly demonstrative person. 
Yeah. And so I feel like that's what my faith would look like, mm-hmm. would be the non-ecstatic kind of thing, where it's just sure. like, you just get in a chill place, and that's sort of what it is. Uh, yeah, I, the thing he read was called The Varieties of Religious Experience. And he especially was talking about like Qu- Quakers and other people. And I have been to a Quaker meeting before, and you basically just sit there in quiet, and then if you're, quote, moved to speak, you do. And um, the Mormons do like a, uh, a testimony meeting, which is a little bit like that. But this, but the, what the Quakers do is far more chill in that, like, it's not awkward if nobody talks. Isaac's getting popsicle. Um, and I'm not, like, into it because of how I'm not into religion. But I can understand that being... Yeah, I, I, I just remember growing up and even being a pretty religious teenager, but also feeling like the few moments where I had felt what I thought was like a really strong spiritual experience was probably mostly like sleep deprivation and, and you know, peer pressure um, at like religious camp or whatever. Well, I think there's something too to be said for that, like collective experience of being, it's just crowd psychology, I guess. Yeah. Of being in a room with a bunch of people who are like feeling and acting a certain way. Right, you're sitting around a campfire. And, and you... so you feel it in that moment in a, sure. a, a different way than you just like, well, I mean, we talked about this like concerts and stuff. Yeah. Or if you're at like a sporting event or something, it's different just being in a group like that. And that's not, not. That doesn't invalidate not... it necessarily. Yeah, it's not fake. Yeah. Um, the, uh, yeah, the various chemicals rushing through your brain aren't like not real and it's i certainly couldn't blame anyone for saying because i did at certain times say that was like a a transcendent experience or your connection with god or the the holy ghost or whatever um but i just think that especially with all the reading i've done and i was like a religious studies minor in college and we read a lot about like altered states and that kind of thing and how that's kind of a, a a worldwide religious experience it's that it's getting however you get to that place it just seems like it's so clear to me now that like it doesn't matter what it is that gets you there like i don't believe that it's god reaching out through the holy spirit to touch your soul it's um it's just a a thing that can happen in the human brain that is cool and i get why people would want to pursue it but to me it's not it's just not important to me, I guess. <laughs> okay. Okay. I have I have a bad taste in my mouth from the um what I feel kind of dirty manipulative ways kind of the way that I got there. Yeah. As as a young person, I I I feel like everybody that I went to church with was sincere, but I don't you know, I don't actually believe that God touched me. Because I don't now believe in God. Um, it's, a weird, it's just a weird thing to think about, I guess. So Phil Jackson goes to college, becomes a successful college basketball player, starts playing in the NBA. And he's not doing the Pentecostal thing anymore, but still wants to do spiritual shit. And his brother introduces him to like Zen meditation. And at some point... So he starts reading books about it and he goes, okay, so he and his brother 
um, one summer, I think in the early 70s maybe, were building a vacation home for Phil's family in Montana. And I just... Again, I just think his his spiritual journey sounds so douchey, basically. On 48, he says, Every morning at 5.30, he and I would start the day with half hour of meditation. Then in the afternoon, we'd take a break to do Sufi grounding exercises. After we finished putting up the rough cut pole and beam frame, we, re- we recruited one of the members of the Zen group to help us build the deck. And I'm just yeah. Like, buddy. Yeah. Buddy. No, it just seems like sort of like 70s hodgepodge, like enlightenment bullshit. Right. Well, because Sufis are, are Muslim mystics. Yeah. So it's just like, okay, oh, just do that too, I guess. Do some grounding exercises while you build your vacation home. Successful professional athlete. Yeah. Yeah. It's very like touristy kind of approach to stuff, which I don't doubt is in earnest but it's not there's not a lot of like reflection happening right in terms of like what am i doing in you know adopting these practices how am i pulling them out of context Mm -hmm. examining his own privilege etc etc oh no not once although he does ask on 52 was christ a zen master christ is a socialist socialism exactly yeah, my next one's on 54. Mm-hmm. I think this is like right after he's sort of, he's kind of transitioning out of being a player. Yeah. Because he was like, he had a bunch of injury stuff, I think. And he was like kind of like a, an unofficial assistant coach a little bit uh, there for a minute. Um, yeah, because he, he played for the Knicks and then, yeah. But uh, he talks about retirement and how... Uh, it meant sort of stopping this thing that he had done for so long and he mm-hmm. devoted his life to for so long and how it made him uh, like a non-person when he retired. Yeah. Which is, I don't know that it rubbed me completely the wrong way. Cause I marked I, that part. Too, I get though. what he's going for, but that felt like maybe not the right word for it. Like, I mean, I get, like, he's saying, okay, well, my identity is so wrapped up in this. What happens when this central part of my identity sort of falls away? Which, uh, yeah. And I get that. But he also, like, thinks of himself as a warrior. And now that part of his life is over. So he's like... Well, on the court, it's over. He refers to him. He, he says it's a type of death or whatever. Which, like, I'm sure if you're an elite athlete and then eventually your body won't allow you to be one anymore. That's got to be a serious transition. But also, like, guess what? Everybody else in life does other shit. So, yeah, chill out. Well, I feel like, I don't know if it would be better or worse, sort of in a more contemporary sense. Because I feel like when he played, like, they were making okay money. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he would have had, like, life money when he retired. Yeah. Whereas, like, now, if you're, like, a mid-to-top-level guy, mm-hmm. like, unless you maintain a ridiculous uh, standard of living, like, you've got life money by the time you retire. Yeah. If you're 35 and you retire, you're fine. And you can sort of do what you want to do from there, generally. Yeah. So I don't know if that'd be better or worse. Because then you never have to work again if you don't sure. really want to, or you can just sort of dabble or, like, half-ass a bunch of stuff. 
Well, like in his case, it seemed like, you know, that wasn't really an option. Like he's got to no. do something. Yeah, no. Whether it was going to be in the game or going back to school or going to law school or doing something. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, because he considered going to law school and then he got the Bulls assistant coaching job, I think. Well, no, because he had other stuff before that. Because that CBA job was the first one he got, wasn't it? And then the Puerto Rico stuff, and then the Bulls gig was... I thought he was considering quitting coaching before the Bulls thing. Yeah. And then and going to law school. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm talking about this is retirement, like oh, retiring yeah, yeah. from playing. Yeah. No, no, later So in on. that moment. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he coached a bit and then considered, like, getting a quote-unquote real job. Yep. Uh, so this is when he's talking about the, the the CBA, which is Continental Basketball Association. Is that what it is? I think so. Uh, uh, and when he was coaching in Albany, initially had the the strategy of uh, equal pay, equal play. So mm-hmm. like everyone on the team made the same money. Okay. And yeah. like he tried to get all ten guys on the roster like approximately similar playing time, which I kind of loved as like a weird like communist approach to <laughs> to running it socialist basketball which i think only works if everyone buys into it and in his case didn't because it was sort of like either fading nba stars or people who were trying to play in and so it's guys who yeah. are trying to like showcase themselves basically yeah i mean if you could have a, a comparatively egoless group of dudes doing that i think yeah. that could work yeah. potentially uh but I just thought it was interesting how sort of like literally he did that. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, well, we're all making the same money and you guys are all going to play similar minutes. So deal with it. No stars. No bench warmers. Hashtag deal with it. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I just thought that was interesting conceptually. but. So his... I'm bored even thinking about it. Too good for strategy? Yes racist against x's and o's once he eventually gets the head coaching job in chicago he wants to institute the triangle offense which was developed by tex somebody tex winter maybe i don't sure whatever that's a great old-timey coach name yeah but he claims so on eighty seven he says uh, that this this style of play embodies a Zen Christian attitude of selfless awareness. Ugh. Um, and then the big quote that I marked on eighty seven is the triangle offense is best described as five man tai chi. Yeah, that's some pretentious bullshit. Yeah. Although from from the little bit that I know about like contemporary basketballs, I don't really follow NBA particularly, but I think from from little things that I read here and there, uh, it seems like the game is sort of trending away from that kind of stuff. Yeah, that there's a lot of like isolation play, where it's just like breaking one guy off against another guy, and then just doing that. Whereas it seems like sort of what makes the triangle offense work from what I understand of it is that it's like pretty free flowing. Mm -hmm. 
There's not necessarily like a designated trigger man. It's just whoever happens to have the best shot yeah. in the moment. Uh, and it sounds like from what he was saying, like, all right, we'll do this most of the time. There are going to be crunch time moments where you're just going to get Jordan the ball because mm-hmm. he's the guy you trust. Sure. And he's the guy who performs in that moment. But most of the time, it's going to be this sort of free-flowing, whoever has the best opportunity kind of thing, mm-hmm. which I don't know is five-man Tai Chi or whatever he's sort of yeah. it saying so it is. But it's it's a, I don't know, a, a more kind of like team-oriented versus mm-hmm. like individually showcasey kind of style. Well, um, and even if it sounds douchey, like clearly he eventually got people to buy in and clearly it really worked for them. Well, and I think he makes this the point sort of as to why, you know, if it's a thing that had been around for a while, no one really uses it, that it took them like multiple years yeah. of practicing in it and playing in it to really mm-hmm. kind of get it to gel to where they could do it consistently right. all the time. So mm-hmm. it just requires like insane amounts of reps and players being really cohesive right. to be able to pull it off mm-hmm. and everyone buying into it. Yes. Well, yeah, because like you could they could have played a, a, a more like traditional game or the style that was more popular then. And Jordan could have scored fucking 50 points a game or whatever, but that doesn't mean you're going to win. Like, well, I think that was sort of his a, point yeah. is that like when he came into the league, you know, he's scoring 30 points a game, winning scoring championships, but like the team always flames out in like the second round of the playoffs because mm-hmm. they just can't quite. I mean, if the, if it's a game where they, you know, the strategy is let Jordan score what he wants to, we shut down everyone else, or we shut down Jordan, he dishes it to everyone else. There's just not enough balance to mm-hmm. have them overcome everyone, kind of. Yeah. Uh, and so it's only when they find a way to have kind of the best of both worlds that it seems like. And I did think it was sort of interesting, too, how, and this is sort of the personality thing that you were talking about before, but how how readily Jordan sort of buys into it. Yeah. And saying, like, if this gives us the best chance to win, cool, let's do it. Right. And that's... Where someone with it, a more or a different ego might not have been willing to, to make that move. Right. Well, yeah, I think he was, yeah, at least willing to give it a shot to, to him. Yeah, he could be amazing and have great individual performances and win these, like, set these records and shit. Um, but you can't win a championship alone. You can, you can get pretty damn far if you've got one great star and a couple other pretty good people. But like, so yeah, I do think that is, uh, a point in his favor as far as like, you know, he could have been more of an asshole about it, but was willing to like, let Phil try his thing. Yeah. I don't have anything else till like ninety seven. That's that's my next one. I think this is probably the same note. Yep. We talk we talking Swift Eagle now. Yep. You 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 want this one or? Page ninety seven, the beginning of chapter six. Quote. Call me Swift Eagle. Like is that supposed to be some Moby Dick shit too? Dick shit. You know, Phil Jackson probably likes Moby Dick. He probably just like meditates during the parts that are about whale bones. Yep. Or he's into whale bones. Hello. Pew, pew, pew. It's just a nickname that his friends, the Lakota Sioux, gave him when he did basketball clinics on the Pine Ridge Reservation. 
in the 70s. He he rides motorcycles and you know he's got a uh, like a, a motorcycle jacket with Swift Eagle stitched into it. Jesus. With some fringe and probably some feathers and maybe a dream catcher. He's at least got a dream catcher tattoo. Yeah, certainly. That's right. I said tattoo. <laughs> but just yeah, it's it's wearing that purely honorary name uh, a little too proudly there it's so uncomfortable like not that you shouldn't value what you know if that really holds like symbolic value for the folks who gave you that name awesome but like i don't know that it's like a thing that you should go around being like a motherfucking swift eagle bitches my Indian friend said it was okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's look at these white buffaloes and meditate. However, uh, later in that chapter, on 110, he says, because he's comparing uh, how the Bulls and the Lakota are so similar. A basketball team is like a band of warriors, a secret society with rites of initiation, a strict code of honor, and a sacred quest, the drive for the championship trophy. I mean... Did the bulls get genocided by white people? Not yet. Not that I know of, but uh, so on one eleven. I think this is when he's talking about uh, when they would do like uh, like game footage or they'd watch like game tapes. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes just to spice it up a little bit, they'd like edit in pieces of movies or things like that that they thought were sort of relevant or right. funny or whatever, just to so you're not just watching game footage all the time. Using like multiple VCRs. Yeah. Uh, so he talks about this movie, uh, The Mystic Warrior, that mm-hmm. he really likes. Uh, and there's the, the part on 111 where he talks about like his, his native bros, uh, like objecting to it saying like this this movie's not accurate it's not an appropriate Mm -hmm. depiction of Mm -hmm. like native people uh and he just like dismisses it and says like yeah that my 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 bros say this but i but i used it anyway i think it's useful anyway even though it's inaccurate for the point i'm trying to make yeah just like that that's that's a good demonstration of the like lack of critical examination Mm -hmm. there Mm -hmm. where it's like this is this is literally people who have a, a definite stake in the representation that you're using here mm-hmm. saying this is inaccurate. Don't use it. Yeah. And him just saying like, yeah, no, nah, just makes me feel good. I'm going to use it. It's like, bro, this is, that's, that's, that's a big red flag. Yeah. You should be smarter than that. Okay. So he is talking about, he talks a lot about um, meditation and, and mindfulness which I'm sure as an athlete, especially in a, a fast-paced game like basketball, can be very useful depending on the person and their, um, you know, the mindset they have and how their minds and emotions work. And he talks about visualization and being just being really aware in the moment. moment. And he was talking about how um, at some point, maybe not in this section, he talks about how Michael Jordan didn't really need the like meditation exercises because that's one of the things that makes him so great is that he is naturally incredibly aware of everything that's going on on the court at once. And just like, that's the way his mind works. Um, 
which I'm sure would give you an advantage, like if you could do that without being like trained. Well, yeah, if you're just like zoned in or you see the game a certain way. Uh, I mean, they, that, that's t- I don't I don't think he uses these sort of words, but I've seen that talked about a lot. Where uh, like top level, like star, like next level guys will talk about the game sort of like slowing down mm-hmm. for them, mm-hmm. where it just feels like it's happening slower. Like you can react to stuff or see stuff. Mm-hmm before other people can uh well and it is really interesting like you know i talk shit about sports obvi but i'm also a huge soccer fan and and i enjoy watching things like the olympics and stuff and it's really cool and exciting to see what the human body can do not mine obviously i can't do shit but slash won't um but it is so interesting um especially if you like follow certain players or certain teams for a long time or leagues. And you just kind of see people who clearly have um, great physical or like technical talent, but just maybe can't quite put it together. And I've, we've talked about this recently, just watching soccer and certain players, but just like there's clearly that mental element that um, for some people just isn't there at least not without specifically working on that that helps them focus and like be able to deliver in key moments um well even just when you see when like people are taking a penalty kick and like if the keeper's trying to play mind games with them and it's it's almost all mental uh because statistically you should be able to make a penalty kick um Unless the keeper happens to guess the right way and you didn't get it out of their reach. I'm rambling. Um, But it's interesting. So it's not like Phil Jackson is completely full of shit. I just think he's mostly full of shit. Well, he... I think in general there's just sort of like a a mystifying kind of thing that he does. Mm -hmm. Where it's just adding this extra layer on top of it where it's like this is already sort of interesting and fascinating anyway you don't need to do this to it kind of yeah well and for him he is spelling it out in this book that for him this is literally a spiritual thing whereas i think now a couple decades in the future sports psychology is so much more developed than it was back then like in the early 90s when he was trying to implement this stuff that like yeah things like mindfulness meditation visualization not that they were unknown then but are far more common now especially on any elite level yeah and i think that yeah now it's more like this is part of what it's like to be a professional athlete is that you you do these things or your team goes through these exercises or you personally do this um in order to get to the next level so i think part of this is Part of me thinking this book is crappy is just kind of a, a matter of like this was maybe more revolutionary than it seems at the time. Well, yeah, a quarter century ago, this might have been ahead of its time. Yeah. Oh, on 121, I, so anyway, 121 I was just talking about, um, this is when he was coaching in the CBA, I think. He said he didn't do enough visualizations before the game to chill out. He says, once I was suspended for bumping up against a ref during an argument, at that point I realized I needed to become more detached emotionally and put the game in the proper perspective. Which I just think is, I mean, we just watched a soccer game 
where the the players got kind of out of control there at the end and like almost turned into a brawl a brawl uh between the timbers and the sounders after the the last whistle and yeah it's always kind of like listen i even in my rec league soccer have gotten a little fired up and been mad and maybe fouled harder than i should have but like in the end you just have to like take a second and be like this doesn't matter as as lincoln park said it they said what in the end oh it doesn't even matter yeah okay couldn't think of it come on bro i'm three drinks in i'm not my brain is a little slower p okay so they just won the championship Mm -hmm. uh and before before popping champagne before Mm -hmm. getting down to the post-game party gotta huddle up bang out the lord's prayer and then do it just like dude dude he mentions that a bunch because like dude i'm just sort of curious like the player's perspective on this because it sounds like there were a few guys on the team who were like at least sort of nominally christian Mm -hmm. and sort of bought into that aspect of it uh and uh, there's probably something for this sort of group think part of it too that like doing it together as a group helps bonding whatever yeah but i i just wonder if they were getting out of it what he was getting out of it or what he was sort of trying to do with it like in that moment like you just won a championship you finally you know overcame the pistons who've been your rivals forever and you know did this thing are you really like taking taking time out for that i don't doubt that it happened but it's just kind of like bro well he talks about the lord's prayer a bunch being a thing that they do before and or after games and it's obviously the nba is a private organization they can do whatever they want sure um but it's it to me it's kind of similar to like I don't know, it makes me think of like the school prayer stuff where it's like, well, all the kids at our school are Christian and blah, blah, blah. It's like, are they? Yeah. And even if they are, that doesn't mean they should have to pray with you. There are a lot of Christian denominations who don't do the Lord's Prayer. Or they do, they do it with different wording that has like doctrinal meaning to them. A lot of people aren't Christian. A lot of people don't really believe in anything. Yeah, I I would have a problem with that personally, but you know, I'm a dirty atheist, so sure. Uh, and then my last one's on 160. I uh, I went on 160 also. Okay. We talk we talking invisible leader here. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, that's his, was, that's his goal. I was okay with that. I think sure. I think that's that's workable as a concept. I mean, ideally, you want the team to be able to coach themselves to recognize what's happening without you having to say it to know when they fucked up or know when they've done stuff correctly like that seems like the sort of ideal i feel like it's generally unreachable but something worth sort of striving after i think it's something that you can achieve if not constantly at least well yeah in the good moments you can step back and just let it happen and I, I do think that that makes you a better leader or even a better parent or whatever, where it's like you've set up the expectations in such a way that that, you know, that person or your kid or whatever knows that they fucked up and is going to be assuming that they buy into, you know, your same set of values 
are going to be harder on themselves than you could be on them. When I was thinking of it in terms of like teaching, mm-hmm. I read it that like the best discussions are the ones when I'm largely sort of absent and I'll pop up every once in a while and, you know, poke things this direction or the other add a little clarifying point or something like that but mostly it's them just sort of dictating it generating the knowledge on their own Mm -hmm. arriving at their own conclusions Mm -hmm. and so uh, that that sort of resonated for me is like yeah this is when when stuff's going well it's sort of like that yeah where i'm just kind of there but i'm not uh, a particularly active presence right one clearly i mean i've already said this but clearly phil jackson is an excellent coach. Yeah. And it seems that the people really, his his players really like and respect him, and obviously he's effective. Yeah. Doesn't mean he's not kind of douchey, though. Sure, 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 sure. Um, I had a couple more things marked. One I wanted, uh, it's on 171, where um, Phil's son, Ben, wanted to meet Michael Jordan because it was his idol. Sure. He's a huge deal. Sure. Yeah, he told Michael, like, my kid wants to meet you. And he was like, okay, cool, I'll meet him. And they met or whatever. And then um, <laughs> he his son was nine. And then afterwards, his kid goes, what do I have left? I've already achieved my life's goal. <laughs> that's grizzled shit. Peaking at nine, man, that's rough. Met Michael Jordan, it's over now. Yeah. Mm, on 177 there's a thing about michael jordan puffing on a cigar on an airplane and i'm like what it's 90s 93 also probably a private plane but well yeah it's at least a charter if nothing else i mean if that's if that's a post championship flight too they're probably just letting them do whatever basically um he really gets into the nuts and bolts later on he talks about during michael's final season the bulls ran pretty much on automatic like he taught them the system and they were doing it yeah um after michael left obviously that was a huge loss for them but also for phil building a team is far more exciting than like just making small tweaks to a team that's already great yeah which makes sense yeah there's a like a kind of after an epilogue that's like the I think it's the ninety five ninety six season. Yeah, when Michael came back and he it's just kind of a just a recap of that whole season. Well, yeah, it's clearly like it's, we need something new for the paperback edition. Give us twenty pages of like the most recent season. And it was boring and just like basketball facts. Well, yeah, it didn't have any of the sort of like philosophical spiritual veneer really. Um. But on 211, he's talking about acquiring um, Dennis Rodman uh, from their uh, great rivals. I forgot that he was with the Spurs for a while. Yeah. In between. When he'd been a, a piston and... Um, well, yeah, during like the intense rivalry days. Right, when the Pistons would play in like a real physical, quote, thuggish way. Yep. Um, but on 211, he talks about like meeting Dennis and talking to him about playing and, you know, shows him their Native American artifacts or whatever. And, um, you know, just talking to him about kind of his philosophy to see if he would, he would buy in, but ultimately it wasn't up to him whether, you know, Rodman would get 
traded to them. Yeah. But he said um, after their meeting, we had connected by our hearts in a nonverbal way. The way of the spirit. You felt, and the worm. I felt like that was some, uh, was that uh, G-dubs and Putin? Probably. Where he said he like looked him in the eye and he had like a good a good soul Ugh, or something like that. Well, Dennis Rodman likes hanging out with uh, Kim Jong-un. Yeah. And so does Trump. There you go. Full circle. Full douche circle. Um, I have to pee, so we should probably wrap this up. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any parting thoughts on um, sacred hoops? Not, not especially. I actually had more to say than I thought, but that's probably because I'm a little bit drunk. Yeah, it was pretty, it was a, a quick read. I'll give it that. It is. And I think in the right context and in the right moment, it was probably a sort of interesting and important mm-hmm. book, maybe. Uh, I wanted to hate it more than I did. Yeah. There were problematic moments, but the, for the most part, I was just like, okay, this is fine. Or I was kind of bored because it was just like basketball information. About a team that I kind of hated in the 90s. So. Because they, uh, Cause they beat schooled your jazz in the finals. Yep. Two times, two years in a row. What are you going to do? The next year there was the, uh, the lockout. It was like a player strike or something. And so it was like a weird short season. So, like, I kind of didn't even watch. And then some. Uh, San Antonio or somebody when I don't yeah, know that sounds right I, so that was like the early like Tim Duncan David Robinson era yeah I st- I had stopped watching by then yeah so that would have been 99 the 99 yeah. season but anyway sport who we did it yeah um so what we are so for our next book it's going to be a book that um we want to read uh, something that I haven't read yet because we talked about doing it for the podcast, basically. Uh, Stay Sexy and Don't Get Murdered. The Definitive How-To Guide by Karen Kilgariff and Georgia Hardstark. Um, the, my favorite murder ladies, if somehow you don't know. Um, it's a New York Times bestseller. And uh, I think it should be a fun, easy read. There's stuff, they said there's stuff that they didn't, they haven't talked about it on the podcast, and I'm I'm interested because they're both um, interesting people who are into murder and have lived um, interesting lives and been in a lot of therapy. So I'm pumped about that. Hopefully, I find out how to not get murdered, but also stay sexy. Sure. All right, we're Lauren and Isaac. This is Couples Book Club. Uh, you can get in touch with us at couplesbookclubcast at gmail.com. Um, obviously, you can find us on SoundCloud and all the other podcasty places. We have a website, couplesbookclub.blog. And we're also on Facebook. So like us on Facebook. Sometimes I post things there. Um, and you can follow me on social media, Lauren Chestnut, at Rexnut on both Twitter and Instagram. I think that's it. 
stay sexy and don't appropriate other people's religions. Okay? Okay, bye.